0: locked herself in the bathroom Mm -hmm. why why did Grammy lock herself in the bathroom it's beyond me but everybody came and i went up and she was in the bathroom and she wouldn't come out i have been up and down these stairs three times i've run out of ideas why
1: don't you take a crack at her dear i used to do that as a kid actually i would uh i would go into a room if i was deeply upset i would just lock myself in it and uh no one could coax me out i would just stay there did you used to do that lee
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I've done that before as a kid, but the thing about the locks in my house are the doorknobs. So you could lock it from inside the room, but then the doorknob on the outside had like a little uh, slit in it where you could turn it with like a coin or a screwdriver and just unlock it from the outside. So it didn't really work. You would have to like put some force on the door so (laughs) no one could break in because they could just unlock it from the outside
1: oh that's dirty no I, I think you should you should respect the person if you like lock if he or she locks the room if you brute force your way into that room it's such a breach of trust
2: it's probably like a vestige from like when we were babies you know the parents want to don't want us to accidentally lock ourselves in the room they just never updated the doorknobs i guess
1: <laughs> i've heard of a uh, stories of really strict parents that would actually like
2: remove the door just like have a frame and no door door empty yeah, door yeah yeah
1: like if the if the child was like really acting up they would just remove the entire door so they would have no privacy
2: <laughs> wow <laughs> at that point you have to resort to like a towel or like uh what are those like bead
1: doors you know what i'm talking about oh yeah or, like,
2: but that's still not really privacy sorry what were you saying
1: <laughs> uh no uh you ever seen one of those uh like mats that you can pull out like they're, they're mm-hmm. like they're pretty common in Asia, I think, where you can just pull it out. And it's like a sliding,
2: would, like a sliding door thing, or yeah,
1: no? yeah, yeah, okay. like a little sliding door mechanism. Maybe you could use that. Wait, hang on, hang on, what, what, what are we talking about here? Like,
2: <laughs> all right, this is about we're talking about northern exposure, not about doors. This episode, I guess, features a lot of doors. I guess if you consider the uh, what, I guess you could say features doors. Whatever, grandma's in the bathroom. This is uh, the 1990s TV series. Northern Exposure. This is a Northern Overexposure podcast where we overanalyze the show and we like to bring in, you know, people who have never seen the show before to get sort of like a fresh outside opinion. Because Charles, for instance, this is your first time watching every episode. I've seen the show a number of times, but this episode of the podcast will be a special one because instead of inviting someone who has never seen the show before, we're inviting back on our friend Jay. Uh, one of my good friends who introduced me to the show many years ago. So he's he's seen the show probably as much, if not more, than I have. And he's seen this episode before. However, he hasn't watched it lately. So we're going to do another one of those. Uh, if you go back to our episode with Jay, It Happened in Juno. We're going to do another one of those special like game show episodes where Jay will be watching this episode for the first time In in a long time, we're going to all watch it together, and we'll pause the episode at specific moments to talk about what we're seeing as we're watching it. So hopefully it'll be sort of like, uh, sort of fresh in Jay's mind. Though I guess, Charles, you've just watched the episode. Do you have any, before we dive in, do you have any spoilers or thoughts?
1: I actually really like the episode. Um, I, I know that it's out of the ordinary, but I think the structure of it and the lessons they're trying to teach... There's something about it that's very elegant, even though it is incredibly inelegant. Uh, the, it's it's not smooth at all, but mm. there's a beauty to it, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, very atypical for a Northern Exposure episode. I think when you guessed the plot of this episode at the end of last episode, you guessed, you were like right on the nail. You thought, you know, someone's going, we're going to Gross Point. By the way, the title of the episode is Gross Point 48320, the uh, zip code, I guess. So we're going to Gross Point, Maggie's going to bring Joel along, and um, you know, as is common with our Maggie and Joel relationship episodes, uh, we've got Jay coming back, so this is kind of continuing that sort of overarching plot line, though I guess you could say they don't really have a whole lot of scenes together in this episode, they're both in it, but they're kind of uh, separated in this setting.
1: And without further ado, here's Jay. Hey guys, good to be here.
2: Thanks for returning, Jay. Oh, we were kind of talking about this before we hit record. So you've seen this episode, obviously, before. It's been quite some time.
0: Right. I think the last time I watched this was with you, Lee, probably 10 years ago or so. Um, So I apologize I didn't prepare in advance to record with you guys, but uh, it seems like a fun idea to kind of watch along and, and pose opinions as we go.
2: Yeah, I think it worked out great last time. So I think this will be a lot of fun. It's always fun to watch it together. So often, Charles and I will we, we'll watch the episode and just like scribble down notes, but we're not together. So it's, it's, you know, it's fun to watch it as an audience, even if we're telecommunicating. We're not really in the same room. But I also wanted to say, yeah, you've kind of been uh, re exploring some of season 4J or?
0: Uh, a couple episodes at the beginning, but it's, it's been a little while since I've watched.
2: So you haven't re-encountered Mike Monroe?
0: No, no, not in, in my watch through right now. I ha- I remember the character, but I don't have recent memories of him.
2: What was your takeaway? What was your thoughts on Mike Monroe when we watched it, or when you last watched?
0: I'm not sure if I, I liked the character. I mean, I don't know how much of an impact, I don't remember how much of an impact he made on Maggie's life. I know there was some kind of relationship there, but uh, I don't think it got involved very deeply. He just seemed like fish out of water, kind of like Joel. Maybe like a duplicate character of Joel that they I don't know if they really needed for the show, but there he was.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we've kind of been exploring Mike as we are watching more and more episodes with him. And, uh, you know, we have some similar complaints. He's kind of steals the spotlight. Like, it's hard for Joel and Mike to be in the same episode without, you know, one of them clearly taking over the sort of romantic subplot. And... You know, the last episode of Northern Exposure that we watched, Mike and Maggie kissed. So, Oh, wow. So this is surprising. You know, we go from that to this episode where Mike and Joel are sort of uh, brought back together. So it's a lot of back and forth. And they they do talk about Mike in this episode. So we can kind of – we can analyze that.
0: Wait, you mean Maggie and Joel are brought back together?
2: Yes. Sorry, yeah. Maggie and Joel are kind of like – It's weird to see Mike and Maggie sort of hit it off so well in the last episode, and then we're kind of reminded, no, there was always this thing with Maggie and Joel, right? Don't forget about that. So, yeah. Well, let's get into it uh, so we don't have so much lead up here. Let's just dive in, and um, you'll hear from us whenever we pause the episode.
0: Pause. (laughs) Pause. Oh. Uh-huh. Whoa. Lee an early pause. Well, two things. Okay. Number one, I can hear it through your stream. <laughs> okay. So can you, I'll put some can headphones you on. mute while you're yeah, that'll work. <laughs> and then two, like right before I said pause, my computer decided to catch up and start spinning the disc again or something. So it slowed down just a fraction. <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right, we're gonna restart it. That was a false start, guys. So we re- bring it back to zero if you're watching okay. along at right. home. Right. Uh, make sure you got your headphones in and uh, sorry right. about that. Three,
1: two. One. Okay, first boss. I'm going to use it right on the cold open of this episode. Uh, right off the bat, I really like that framing that you get whenever Maggie and Joel step off of his office and go into the other room, and then the camera goes and frames in between the gap. So you see Joel kneeling down to go get something out of a shelf, and then re- they return back to the room, and then the camera widens back up with them. I don't know why they included that, but it's such a fun little framing right there that I really enjoyed it. But yeah, this is the scene where Maggie bribes Joel into coming to Detroit with her to go see her Grammy's 80th birthday. And she bribes him with some New York City Knickerbockers versus Detroit Piston tickets. And it caught me off guard when it was called Knickerbockers because I did (laughs) not know that was the full name of the New York Knicks. I had no idea.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess I forgot. Like I forget that that Knicks is short for something. Knickerbockers, which must be like pajamas or something. What is a knickerbocker?
1: Yeah, that was like the pants that they wore when the Dutch settlers came into the area known as New York City. So they wore these uh knickerbockers. And for some reason, whenever they were naming the basketball team, they got to submit their own names, and a lot of people wrote in <laughs> knickerbockers. So that's why they're uh, that's why they're called the Knicks. Man,
2: fan-selected like sports teams names is uh, can get pretty wild. I guess
1: I think they're a lot better than they are in <laughs> current day. They, like, have you ever seen one of those things where like they open it up to the public for everyone to vote on a name, <laughs> and it always turns like out to be Hitler some degenerate or something? Thing.
2: It's like <laughs> bad. It's like no, we can't name our wow. Um, well, I do want to say I think it's really funny how Maggie when she because at first she's like, "Come on, Joel like." And Joel is not – he's being very stubborn. He's, of course, he's not going to do it. I think it starts with him saying, like, no, N-O, no. Like, he's spelling it out to her. But when she unveils her, like, secret weapon the tickets, Maggie is, like, very still. I like how Janine Turner performs this. She's just, like, she knows that this is going to catch his attention. <laughs> so a great cold open. Not only are we promised that we're going to, you know – Charles, you predicted we're going to Michigan – you know, but now it's like the promise of the premise is they're going to go to this basketball game. It's going to be insane if we get to go like center court with Fleischman. Uh, but let's—I guess Charles—we know what happens. Let's, let's let's see what happens. Let's let's dive back in. Pause. Go. Cool. Mm-hmm.
0: So here we see Maggie is frantically packing while Joel is casually reading a magazine about basketball. We've we've seen. We actually Maggie hasn't agreed to go to the game with joel i don't know if you guys have realized that or not she just she just offered him this pair of tickets but that doesn't mean she's going to go with him and i don't remember if 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 they end up going to the game or not or if they end up going together for that matter but i, I want to reference back to the the cold open joel is going to be once again thrust into this new environment michigan where he's never been before it's uncomfortable uh, he's had a tenuous relationship with Maggie. Now Maggie has these romantic flirtations with Mike Monroe. Uh, so is Joel jealous? Has Joel moved on in his mind emotionally? I don't know. But he's he's. it seems like he's kind of moved on because he's all about this basketball game. That's the only reason he's going. <laughs> but he's still willing to go and go with Maggie. So I think that kind of says something. that There's still some little piece of him that has a desire for Maggie.
2: Yeah, I think you make a good point because, you know, he's very, in the beginning, the cold open, very steadfast in not trying to go. Like maybe he's part of him. He's trying to contain his feelings and just shut himself off. Maybe, uh, that wall is broken down by the the Pistons tickets, but you know, we can assume that maybe it's not just that. I like what you're kind of keying in there, Jay. Maybe, maybe there's something else about Maggie that's bringing him there, or at least we'd like to think that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Maggie never – on screen, she never agreed to go to this basketball game. But Joel maybe expects that she will or assumes. So that could also indicate that, you know, he's thinking that they're going to spend some fun to him time together, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: I like that the scene introduces the conflict that Maggie has within herself between her and her family. I like how she describes her mother as uh, relentless. She's like a perpetual motion, emotional machine. I like that line too. Quite the tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I
2: think Janine Turner delivers it great. Like as a tongue, like she's saying it. Like at first time when I heard it, I was like, oh wait, did she stumble on the line? But like, it seems natural that this thought is just entering Maggie's head as she's saying it. Perpetual motion, emotional machine. Like it's like hitting her as she's saying it. Seems natural to me at least.
1: What a paradox, because she's saying that it is a machine that is constantly feeling emotions.
2: (laughs) Yeah. How, how, yeah. How would a machine?
1: That's a good point.
2: But I guess it's a great, it's a great oxymoron because like her mom is unstoppingly, like relentless, like you said, like a machine, but it's emotional somehow. Yeah. It's a great oxymoron there.
1: She also says that she wishes she was uh, like Gary Trudeau and Jane Pauly. Those two are married to each other. Gary Trudeau is a cartoonist. He created the Doonesbury comic strips.
2: And Jane Pauly was the CBS Sunday Morning anchor. I had to look this up as well. I'm guessing that reference is more topical in the 90s. But (laughs) I mean, I know what Doonesbury is. I know what CBS Sunday Morning is. But I obviously didn't know about this uh, power couple.
1: Right. Uh, I used to read Doonesbury, like one of the Sunday morning comics, like when I open up the newspaper, that would be the first thing I would do on Sunday. I would go and grab the newspaper from the uh, driveway and then I would just go straight to the comics, uh, and just read them. I I used to read a lot of family circus, zits, Mm -hmm. Blondie, Foxtrot. Uh, what did you guys read?
2: Yeah, I definitely remember the family circus, the zits, uh, Dilbert, Dilbert,
1: Dilbert.
0: What about you, Jay? There was one I can't remember the name of it, but it always stood out to me because uh, well, my mom made a big deal about it because in the in the comic strip, the mom in the comic strip was pregnant at about the same time that my mom was oh. for me, <laughs> and so my mom sort of drew this parallel. Yeah, and so I, I I forget what the name of the comic was. the The girl's name was April. The girl, the baby that was born around the same time as me. Hmm. I forget the name of it though. Somebody out there will have to write in and, and remind me. It's <laughs> yeah. been a while since I've read comic strips.
2: Write in to northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com if, uh, if this sounds familiar to you. Before we hop back in, I wanted to play this little soundbite from this last chunk.
0: Psychologically, separation is all part of becoming a normal, healthy adult. And eventually, we all grow up and we realize that we're all loony in our own unique and highly individualized
2: ways. Maybe you're right.
0: Shall we get this show on the road?
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah. Great. I'll grab this. Okay.
2: So I wanted to play that bite because this is sort of like an opening argument that Joel presents, and it becomes challenged throughout different parts of the episode. So without giving too many spoilers, Jay, this is like your first time watching it in a while. Just kind of pay attention to that idea and uh, the situations that sort of challenge that idea throughout this episode.
0: Okay. I also want to bring up—I think there's a bit of irony— in Joel telling Maggie not to be so worried about changing, about moving on from her life with her parents and trying to please her parents because that's sort of a parallel with with Joel in the whole series as he's thrust into a new environment. I'm sure I've made this yeah. parallel before in, in other things. <laughs> that's not a new thing. But uh, it, it's sort of ironic that he's pointing that out to Maggie.
2: That's a good point. Like he himself is not separating from New York. I mean – Charles and I, we've been talking about this. Like, he does begin to, like, settle down more, like, as the series goes on. But there's always that that Joel Fleischman that's still in New York, you know, that's trapped. So, all right. Well, let's dive back in. Mm-hmm. All right, pause. So we've paused right at sort of, like, this bathroom door shot. It's locked on the bathroom door. We're about to go back to Maggie and Grandma, but I feel like we've introduced... A lot of characters, we like just introduced this character, Jed, so that's where we paused. But let's back it up, because where we last paused, we were heading towards Gross Point, and we get this montage I wanted to briefly touch on of just like... It's like B-roll shots of Detroit, and the music in this sequence is replaced on the DVDs. The song on the DVD is Virginia Highland Walk by The New Blues Revival, and the original song... That was replaced is Ain't Too Proud to Beg by The Temptations. And I want to say it's got like a very, the replacement music has got like a very similar vibe to Heard It Through the Grapevine. Mm-hmm. All of these songs very much remind me of the movie The Big Chill, because they, you know, those songs are featured in The Big Chill. And this episode reminds me a lot of, I don't know, have you guys seen the movie The Big Chill?
0: Mm-mm. I've never seen it.
2: So it's kind of about a bunch of uh, friends who reunite after one of their uh friends has died they're kind of young, they're kind of like adults you know uh, maybe like in their 30s and they reunite for a friend's funeral and they all stay at like this house and it's very much this kind of vibe though i think that's like in i want to say like south carolina maybe north carolina or so, or like georgia or something so different geographically but very similar vibe okay. to this style of episode so I just wanted to quickly touch on that, but uh, let's maybe talk about some of the other things that were set up in this chunk and some, some of these characters.
1: Yeah, so we're introduced to some new characters, Steffi and Jeffy, adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Their names rhyme right there. Uh, I actually really like Jeffy. I, I'm not saying that like I like his character, but I like his actor played by yeah. Dylan Baker. I don't know him from anything, but the way he delivers his dialogue, is very natural. He takes a step back instead of uh, being ahead of the scene. Like, I think that Jane, the mother, when she's introduced, her dialogue is quick and stilted, which I think she's playing it to that degree because her character's like that. Whereas Jeffy is very natural. He, he knows that he's toying with the dialogue and so he can play along with it. I really enjoy it. So, great job for the actor crushing it right there.
2: Yeah, I think he plays that character very well. I think, like, we feel that character is very real just from seeing him act it out. And you mentioned Jane, Maggie's mom, returns. Like, we actually saw her It's the same actress as Maggie's mom in Burning Down the House, which, Jay, you'll remember. Do you remember the episode where Maggie's house burns oh, down? Oh, yeah. And the, they fling the catapult, the piano? Yes. Classic, iconic episode. But there's also a moment that kind of, I mean, obviously, the actress called that back to my mind, but there's another moment in this chunk where Maggie, she ends up in the bathroom with the grandma. Like, they're both locked in the bathroom. All right the grandma lets Maggie come in. And so um Maggie's in there with her grandma and the the grandma asks for a match. And so I thought, is she going to burn down this house? Like, <laughs> Because in the burning down the house episode, Maggie's mom says, you know, I burned down my house when I was, I think she meant it figuratively or she thought about it. She's like, I thought about burning down my house. You know, maybe it was figurative, maybe it was literal, but I don't know. I thought it might run in the family. <laughs> it's like...
0: <laughs> There's so many parallels that you can draw between <laughs> Maggie and her mother and Maggie's mother and Maggie's grandmother uh, with Maggie's mother wanting to please Grammy so much. And then also the parallel between Maggie and her own grandmother. Maggie smokes occasionally. Yeah. And now we find out her grandmother does the same thing.
1: Right. I think we were introduced to the theme of um, wanting to break from tradition. So on that scene when Maggie is with Grammy... Grammy uh, talks about this lilac water that she finds. And she says, like, why is it still in the chest? Like, no one's ever going to use this. Like, my my mother from, like, the 1920s was using it. This is useless. We don't need this anymore. And you can also see it in the dialogue where she says that she's tired of the honey ham that comes every year. She doesn't want to go through the motions anymore. She kind of just wants to do what she's naturally supposed to do at that age, which I guess entails smoking cigarettes because what else are you going to do? So I like that. I like that theme of where they are trying to go with in this episode. And it's introduced even further after this scene with Jeffy talking about Maggie saying that she's trying to escape from this suburb lifestyle. He's saying, like, it's just a phase. She's not... You know, she should just turn in her Euro pass and her knapsack. She should return back to the quote unquote carpool example that he uses.
2: Yeah, he says, uh, quote, everybody knows it's the loose screws that leave home, the malcontents, the misfires. And this is like, as he's saying this, we get like a shot of Joel's reaction because this is in direct opposition to that soundbite we played where Joel explains like, you know, separation is part of growing up. And Joel like is is going to, he's like, well, you know, like he's going to interject, but um, the doorbell rings and it's like, Jed, that's when Jed comes in. I do want to also piggyback how you're saying this theme of traditions, uh, breaking from traditions and things like that. For me watching this episode, I don't know if this is exactly the function of the of Grammy in the bathroom, but for me, I was like trying to, it was like a mystery you had to solve while watching. I it. was like, why is Grammy in the bathroom? Why won't she come out? At least that's what Maggie's wondering. And maybe that uh, beginning of that theme is going to kind of roll out an explanation or maybe we can figure out why Grammy, you know, that's partly why, probably why Grammy is locking herself in there is because she's tired of this whatever tradition.
1: Mm. One little interesting tidbit that I could tell was that Grammy's robe and in the bathroom itself was filled with a lot of flowers. And I tried to pause throughout the episode to get like a closer look at it, But because I'm not watching this in high definition or anything, it's really hard for me to tell what flowers they are. But I'm pretty sure they're hydrangeas. And hydrangeas can mean a lot of things, particularly blue hydrangeas, which is featured on the robe and on the shower curtains. They usually symbolize someone turning down a romantic proposal or chastising someone for their frigid nature. They can also symbolize pride or an over-excessive of pride. And I think that's going to play a little bit more into the episode and with the character of Grammy herself.
2: Nice. Yeah. You were kind of bringing in some of that flower language starting with last episode. And I I think, uh, I think he may be onto something like this all makes sense, at least in my head, maybe we're overanalyzing it too far, but you know, I, I wouldn't put it past the production designer or whoever to like have that intention by placing these flowers, like to mean something. But yeah, I guess we'll, we'll keep an eye on that meaning and see if that enhances throughout the episode
0: okay i've got two things and then i want to bring it around to the joel maggie romance that's still happening in the background here uh one thing is did you guys catch the um the backhanded insult that her mother indirectly delivers to maggie via steffy at, when, like as soon as she walks in the door, that comment that Steffi makes about about her hair. Oh, I don't yeah. know what, why your mother says <laughs> otherwise, but I, I like your hair that way. And so that's right on right immediately as soon as Maggie gets there, her mother's getting on her nerves. And then the second thing was it's such a Motor City thing to say the the word choices that Jeffrey Jeffy made <laughs> uh, when he described misfires, malcontents. Mm. Uh, what was the order? Uh, gruse, loose screws, malcontents, yeah. and misfires. Yeah, that was such a Detroit thing to say. The, the, it just evokes images of that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so taking it back to the Joel-Maggie romance, what's happening here romantically between the two? Well, Joel starts talking about a lack of Jewish people in the neighborhood as they're walking <laughs> up the steps. And Maggie insists that there was somebody there and that she knew that they were Jewish because they were smart and funny. Yeah. So right there, that's sort of an a indirect compliment to Joel. Uh, <laughs> that maybe she thinks he's smart and funny. Oh. Um, she also, and we see that- Can I say real fast? Go ahead.
2: Um, yeah. That she says, you know, she mentions, I think it's like, I forget the first like the first name, but the last name was Ellis. And Joel says, "Alice, yes. that's not a Jewish name. And she says, oh, yeah, she was Jewish. It was like, I think it was like her dad or something. But um, I want to say there's some sort of like requirement, like to be like Jewish by heritage, you have to be Jewish on your mom's side. So it's even showing that it's like kind of Maggie is disproving herself by saying, yeah, I think it was like her dad was Jewish or something. (laughs) Okay. But I cut you off. So the other thing
0: is um, very quickly, Maggie and Joel are separated. Maggie goes off on her mission to confront her grandmother, and Joel is stuck meeting the rest of the family. Well, Joel has already met the dad and the mom before, if I remember correctly, the dad is now out of the picture. Mm-hmm. I remember Maggie saying something at the beginning of this episode about buying a ranch in South Dakota or something. <laughs> so he's out of the picture. But he's re-meeting the mom. He's also meeting the brother, the sister-in-law, and the extended family. And now there's this new guy, Fleming. I forget his first name. Yeah. Jed, Jed, Jed. Jed. Jed Fleming, who has sort of indicated that he's a uh, potential love interest for Maggie. Or yeah. at least – Maybe he pines for her a little bit.
2: Yeah, we'll get a little more of that backstory as we keep going. But um, it seems like this he's is just a like a friend of the Joel. family. So this that? is
0: a big step for Joel meeting the rest of the family. Yeah, you know, in terms of a relationship with somebody, even though they're not technically in a romantic relationship right now. Uh, but he's also meeting the antagonists of that yeah. potential relationship. <laughs> Yes. and we know that Maggie is sort of at odds with her brother. They they sort of set up that he's this uh, Republican-minded guy when they talk about trickle-down trickle economics down economics yeah. in in the scene before this, and then uh, he says something about Maggie is uh, squirrel face hedging inflation oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. by <laughs> Sorry, by, that by hanging around Joel um, because he's a doctor, etc. Yeah, or, um, but yeah, that was that was kind of funny the way that. Jeffy calls her squirrel face. Joel <laughs> picks up on that. That's a yeah, little playful thing. Between. So much
2: of that first scene when they first enter the door, there's these glances between Joel and Maggie and Joel's reaction and Maggie's like reaction to what everyone is saying, what everything that's happening. It's a, it's a fun comedy exchange. We do get, you know, like you said, tons of new characters. There's obviously a lot of like extras who are just like background older people, like family friends or family relation, um, kin. But, uh, there is like this, uh, I think it's a couple old ladies. I'm not sure what their names are, but they, they're like sort of the featured, uh, relationship, you know, family relationship. That's like extras that, uh, you'll see a lot in this episode. And then you see, this young reverend, I think it's Reverend Harding. Uh, pr- I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I wanted to point out. That's right. I actually didn't notice this when I was watching it until the second scene that he appears in. This is uh, the actor James Marsters. He's Spike in the TV series Buffy, which I just finished during uh, quarantine. I don't know. Have you oh. seen Buffy, uh, Jay?
0: Okay. I've seen a few episodes of it, and I'm sort of familiar with the character. He blonde, spiky hair. Yeah,
2: yeah, and spiky. He's got a British accent, but he is American. It turns out he has a you know, he sounds American (laughs) in this episode, or sounds you know American accent. But yeah, I thought this was crazy, and it turns out this is his first TV appearance.
0: Wow! Before we jump back in, I want to point out we're in Detroit. Where and they pull up to the house, where are all the cars? (laughs) If there's that many people inside the house, they got valet cars. (laughs) How come this is the only car on the street? It's
2: a good point because you know, like if you ever go to a family gathering or a party, there's always like cars down the block. Now, I did appreciate there was like a car in the background while they're walking up to the house. You see like a car turning. So that would have been like theoretically, that would have been like a picture car. Someone is driving that for the movie, but it could have been real traffic. I don't know. Sorry, Charles, go ahead.
1: Oh, before we move off of the scene, I want to say that you can kind of get the first glimpses of conflict between Jeffy and Steffy because Jeff is talking about how Maggie is going a little loony by going off the beaten path, and Shelly kind of commends her, and she says, like, I think she's very brave to set off on her own like that. Oh, Steffy, So you can yeah. see this idea. Mm-hmm. You can see the idea that Steffy is wanting to go a little bit more toward Maggie's path.
2: Yeah. They they have a little disagreement. I mean, look, you know, at least their uh, their dialogue is in disagreement, you know. But okay, let's hop back in. So, quick pause here, just for this moment when Joel is like, he's he's with the Reverend, and they're standing over, I guess, the buffet, as uh, Maggie's mom puts it earlier. They're standing over all this food, and it's uh, in Joel's line. He talks about what's with all the mayonnaise, and there's like, you know, I think it's macaroni salad. Other things on the table. Um, I've always never quite understood it, but it is a thing, right? With like Jewish people and mayonnaise. Um, what is the dislike? It's, I don't think man, like mayonnaise isn't not kosher, you know? Uh, but I was trying to figure out what this sort of stigma is. Um, I guess it's just simply that it's like a white genteel thing to eat mayonnaise. Um, I found, (laughs) I found this humorous quote, uh, attributed to Robin Williams. I don't know if it he said this or whatever, but it says, genteels are people who eat mayonnaise for no reason. So, uh, I mean, sure, yeah, I I like mayonnaise fine, um, but I guess just Jewish people seem to always be surprised that wasps, maybe it's a waspy thing, uh, enjoy mayonnaise. Do you guys have any insight here?
1: I think that the... I (laughs) know The Midwest eats a lot of mayonnaise, don't they? Isn't there a joke that uh, a Midwest salad is basically just like Skittles and uh, Snickers pot on with like mayonnaise on top or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's a, if I had to gander a guess, I would say that it's less about Joel being Jewish and more about them being Midwest.
2: Yeah, it's more of a, like a Midwestern, white Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, uh,
1: yeah. Okay. Sorry for the. <laughs> oh, no,
2: no, if you have no, any uh, clues, uh, <laughs> listener, you could write us in, please. Um, but I, I've heard it referenced in like pop culture more than once. How, oh, really? Jews are just like, Like, there's that Weird Al song, Pretty Fly for a Rabbi, um, where he's, they're parroting Pretty Fly for a white guy. And uh, there's a line in it where he says, he's talking about the rabbi, and he's like, and he'll never eat pastrami on white bread with mayonnaise. So white bread and mayonnaise is a very. I guess, genteel thing for some Hmm.
1: reason. I also wanted to talk about the scene that happens right before where Maggie and her grandma are talking about marriage. And I think it's a neat shot. It's a very easy metaphor to grasp, but there's mirrors, uh, two mirrors in that scene. Mm. And whenever the grandma is Mm -hmm. probing Maggie, her reflection also appears on the left mirror that's behind Maggie and herself is on the right side. So she's surrounding her. So she is not only probing her on questions he's literally surrounding her with her presence and then but i think hmm? charles i think it also it shows the grandmother's talking to
0: herself in the position where maggie is
1: oh yeah that's a nice catch that's
0: that's what i saw from
2: it yeah i think i think reflection like self-reflection mirrors uh so it's maggie reflecting it on herself and perhaps even the grandma the grammy uh, doing some introspection as well but charles go ahead
0: I see what Charles was getting at, though.
1: No, I like that. I didn't catch that at all, Jay. That's a really great one. Uh, You also see it a little bit with Maggie when her back is against Amir. And she's talking about how Rick just didn't have a ring for her in the first place. And she's kind of reminiscing or reflecting on herself about how, like, that relationship wasn't going to go anywhere. It was just – it was dead on arrival. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, well, let's hop back in. Basically, right now, Joel and Reverend uh, Spike, or whatever his name is, they're talking about mayonnaise. So let's let's keep going there. Mm-hmm. Don't let
1: me.
0: You right. Yes. Onions. I just hate them so much. Those aren't onions.
2: I was, <laughs> <Yeah, I> was <laughs> going to say, she should be cutting onions, right? But she's oh. cutting bagels. Bagels. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe it's like an so everything bagel. It has a lot of... Dried onions on it?
1: He's the one who told me he did not (laughs) want me to work. I would have worked. All right, I'll use one of my pauses right here. So we're coming in right after the scene where Steffi is crying after she's trying to prepare some bread. And Joel's trying to find a phone so that he can find off the tip-off time. I like that Steffi is kind of uh, literally breaking bread right here. (laughs) But she's also revealing to Joel her actual feelings about her relationship with Jeffy. And you can kind of see that this is another relationship that's going to go south in the O'Connell household. So you start off with the mother divorcing the father. And now you're seeing her children kind of going through the same thing. Where Steffi is going to break away with Jeffy. Yeah, and I think
2: this underlines just like how this picturesque... When you first arrive, it's sort of this picturesque neighborhood Joel says, "Like this is how the upper ten of the one percent. What? Like he's, you know, he's like this is how the rich people live, or whatever. But you see how much dysfunction is happening uh, already. You know, you first get there. Grammys locked herself in the bathroom. Steffi and Jeffy are obviously not happy, or some sort of turmoil there. What'd you guys think about the uh, like right where we had paused last time, the uh situation with Joel and uh, the Reverend talking about like uh." Just the idea that Jews don't expect an afterlife.
1: I kind of read it as uh, that scene on the inverse. I wasn't thinking so much about Joel's answer, but thinking about why the reverend even asked the question in the first place. And it almost seemed to me that like the reverend was having a crisis of faith. Like he was thinking about other religions and how they handle things uh, compared to how the religion that he follows and how they handle things. I thought that that was a much more interesting question. Yeah, I could definitely see that.
2: He seems, you know, he's like young, so he seems uh, maybe full of doubt, perhaps, because uh, we'll see more as we keep going.
0: I think it brings up a point about Joel, with Joel's response. Joel tends to make this big deal about his Judaism and him being <laughs> Jewish and how there's not Jews in the, there are, no, there are no Jewish people anywhere around him. But yet he doesn't have a very strong answer. He just says, I don't think about it. <laughs> when thinking about life after death or, or an afterlife or whatever so it's like he he's making a big deal about it but it's kind of just to show <laughs> in, in all the other circumstances I mean you know what I mean
2: uh, are you saying that like he's he's not very like tied to his faith as like a as much as like a reverend character might be
0: oh uh, no not that he's not as tied to his faith as what he would have everybody else believe
2: oh every, yeah because everyone's like oh look it's a Jew well he's sort of like an odd commodity in this uh in this environment, obviously, because there's no Greenblatt's, there's no Greenberg's. Right. I think, okay, I'm probably spoiling this, but I think later on, Grammy is like, I've never seen a Jew before, so, right? <laughs> Didn't she say that, Charles? <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, she's we'll like, see. I've never
1: seen a Jew, uh, <laughs> Jewish person before, except on like Seinfeld or that yeah. <laughs> really know it all and uh, Murphy Brown.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but... um,
1: Let's keep watching.
2: Okay, okay, let's jump back in. All right, pause. We're right at this part where Joel and Jed have begun a basketball game. So I wanted to focus uh, just, I really love this quote in the basketball game. Um, You know, it's a bit, it's like playful competition between Jed and Joel. As we've described already, you know, Jed used to date Maggie. We get a little more backstory in this chunk about that. But there's sort of uh, a competition here, um externalized in this basketball game. I loved this quote that Joel says, Jed compliments Joel saying, oh, you've got like a killer left hand there. How'd you learn that? And Joel says, it was from my Aunt Ruth. Uh, When I was young or something, he went to, he says, a Van Clyburn concert at Carnegie Hall. It was like Schubert or Rachmaninoff. He doesn't remember what the music was, but uh, as the pianist was playing uh, so well, I think uh, his Aunt Ruth was like, Joel, Joel, watch his left hand. It's as good as his right. If you want to play with the big boys, you got to have a good left. So I thought it was cool that you can like take that and extrapolate it from piano to basketball. Just this ambidexterity is important in so many different things. And I don't know, it's a fun... It's just a fun dynamic scene because we get this basketball game.
1: Right. And it's not just like ambidextrous. It's about the balance of things. So she's mm, trying to remind Joel yes. to like, oh, like you can't just be focused on one thing. You have to spread out and be able to be and be able to handle a uh, multitude of things right there. And yeah, I agree with you. I love uh, the idea of extrapolating one idea into another right there, particularly if they have nothing in common right there. That's one of my favorite things to uh, be able to see.
2: Uh what else do we learn from this chunk? Jed, you know, we get a little bit of backstory when they're in the kitchen. Joel spilled some punch on his pants, like some kids ran into him or something, so he's got to clean that off. <laughs> you know, a bunch of people are meeting up in the kitchen. You know, Jeffy is in there making the ice. Maggie comes later to grab... Uh, J- Jay, you were remarking how much um, this copious amount of booze that she's taking from the kitchen <laughs> up to the... Just for yeah, her and her Grammy. Just to go to the Grammy yeah. in the bathroom. It's a, It's like bottles and but in this scene Jed also like it's clear that Jed wants to like hang out with Maggie. He's inviting Joel and Maggie to go hang out with him like the next morning or the that night. And uh what else do we learn? Joel is like Joel did his sub study in a pulmonary.
0: Right. Which he talks about as Jed is smoking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make uh some sort of like GameStop stock market joke because Jed is like in the in the stock market, but I, I didn't have anything.
0: <laughs> we also hear from Jeffy complaining about Steffi in this scene. So the the same thing on the other side of the marriage as well.
1: Right, he's complaining that she's uh, not really focused on making ice, and that he always has at least in his mind he has to go pick up the slack. And he he makes a comment. He's like, "Well, what's so difficult about making ice right here?" Yeah. Oh, I like that. There's a small piece of dialogue that helps set up the character of Jed and his relationship with the O'Connell family. Uh, Joel is looking for a way to open the trash can, and in between the conversation between the two, he casually drops a remark that the switch, or like the way to open a garbage can, is at the bottom. And then Joel kicks it, and it opens up, and it reveals that like he's been inside the house so many times, he knows how to open this convoluted. Garbage garbage can right there and that's a good catch yeah, yeah. I-, I like it whenever shows have like this uh, just small natural dialogue that actually means something or it, ma- it does not even have to mean anything really it just makes the conversation come alive and instead yeah. of being like
0: stilted it you... sets up the reality of the of, of what's happening yeah. Yeah.
1: right right I-, I i love it when they do that i don't i'm just not a fan of anything that's like super stilted or like it serves only its purpose to uh go on to the next scene
2: yeah, no, you said it perfectly, natural. Like, that's what I was going to say. It's very natural. It's like mid-sentence, like you said. Like, it doesn't even skip a beat. He's still finishing a thought, but, you know, that's what his real character, if his character was a real person who had been in that house before countless times, it's like, yeah, this is familiar territory. Um, yeah, great uh, great pointing that out. I, I love that as well. Okay, shall we keep going? Mm-hmm.
1: All right, I'll use one of my pauses right here. So we just got done with the scene where Maggie and Grammy are in the bathroom talking about, of all topics, sex. And um, I don't know if we can say this. Maybe we have to bleep it, but orgasms. It could just be like a bleep right there. (laughs) I guess we can say it because they say
2: it. Yeah, it's fine. We can't say it. It's not a dirty word.
1: (laughs) And, yeah, I think that one interesting thing about this is that maybe Grammy wants to break from the tradition of people not following traditions, and so in a way, she wants to go back to traditions. Like, do you kind of Wait. follow what I'm saying right <laughs> it's here? Like,
2: it creates a circle. It's the horseshoe
1: yeah like That's she wants to just grow old as an old person she wants to do old person things like she yeah. makes the remark that like oh, why are all these people that are like 50 years old they look like they're 35 years old like back in my day yeah. if you were 50 you were just 50 like she just wants to go buy lotto tickets at the gas station <laughs> she wants to rush <laughs> listen, listen to rush limbaugh <laughs> she wants to do like all these old people things <laughs>
2: This is the uh, scene. That whole whenever she's looking at the beauty magazine in the bathroom, talking about how like these people who are fifty, they look like they're thirty-five or whatever. That uh, scene is what like cinched it for me. That that whole theme that you're talking about, Charles, where it's like people trying to be something they're not, like trying to like issuing this tradition that uh, it's like why try to be something when why try to follow this tradition of youth when you know that you're old, just you know, be happy being an old person. Cause there's other things. And, uh, I don't know if we brought it up yet, but you know, uh, Maggie talks about, you know, like Grammy, What you can't be smoking. And Grammy says, well, you know, what's going to happen to me? Well, <laughs> well you know, she's going to die if she smokes, but she's not afraid of that. She also says like, I don't need a knee replacement. Cause if I get a knee replacement, then I'll get a hip replacement. Then they'll replace my heart. Then they'll re- like, what's next? You know?
1: Right. I also couldn't help but notice this. I don't know if this is just a, I'm pretty sure I'm right that this is just a coincidence, uh, at least on what I'm about to say, but I couldn't help but see pink and yellow throughout scenes with Grammy. So the bathroom is entirely pink. The walls are pink. The toilet is pink. And the handlebars though are very yellow and they shine. And you can't help but not notice them right there. And she had remarked earlier that the watch that she wanted, she wanted it to be yellow gold, not pink gold. But ironically enough, everything went back to pink gold. That is now the stylish thing.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah, the stylish thing was yellow. Yeah, that's the whole – there's a whole symbolism there, I guess, with that color. But um, what do you think pink and yellow means in this bathroom, like the decor of the bathroom? Is it just – a certain tone uh, that they're setting with this character to separate it from the rest of the house or possibly it deeper.
1: Like I know that Grammy wears pink, Maggie wears white, and the uh balloons are also most of them are blue and pink right there. I'm not entirely too sure. Like pink is usually a feminine color. I know that the flowers are also kind of pink themselves. They look like pink peonies, and those usually represent romance. Uh I don't want to dig too deep into this in case I'm wrong on it. I don't have yeah. enough information yet.
2: Yeah. I mean, even if the color isn't like a metaphor for something else, just the whole style of the, you know, the house, the bathroom, the way it looks evokes that sort of uh, sense of like what type of people like Wasp or like older Gross Point, Michigan people like this, uh, well, coming from like a family of wealth, um, it definitely evokes that feeling.
1: Oh, well, I actually just noticed that Maggie is wearing blue right there. Blue and white, And blue and white, and Grammy is wearing pink. Maybe it's a restructuring of gender roles right there. I don't know if I'm reaching too far down the back, (laughs) but uh, it could be another way to eschew tradition.
2: Yeah, who knows? Uh, Well, before we go back in, because where we paused was like uh, what we just just described. We're about to go back into this uh, basketball match with Joel and Jed, but we had a little bit more of that in this chunk that I wanted to touch on. Things are getting a little more serious in this basketball game. You know, they're, they're a lot sweatier now. Jed's hair is like more disheveled and he starts to egg Joel on by like asking like, you know, does Maggie still enjoy skinny dipping in the moonlight? And uh, Joel's not wavering. He's like, look, uh, you, like I think uh, Jed says, you know, I don't like to tell stories out of school. Joel says, well, there can't be much to tell. All the guys that got lucky are sprouting daisies right about now, which refers to you know all of the <laughs> men that Maggie has slept with. Uh, they've died. That's just the thing with her. all of her ex-boyfriends.
0: I do like the scene transitions here but uh, from the basketball court to the bathroom and then back to the kitchen. The way they, they transition from the court up to the bathroom is they have <laughs> Maggie poke her head out of the window and call down at everybody. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but yeah. they have an audience now, the basketball game that's going on. The whole family's out there watching them. Um, so Maggie's calling down, and and Joel's like, come on, let's just get on with the game. Yeah. Uh, your Romeo scene's done, which is, you know, Romeo and Juliet calling down from the window. That was that was neat. And then it goes into the bathroom once Maggie pokes her head back inside, and there's that scene where they start talking about sex uh, between <laughs> yeah. her and her Grammy. Well, well, that dangling modifier needs to be edited out somehow. Let me try that again. And then when Maggie pokes her head back inside, it transitions to the scene where her and her Grammy were, were having a discussion. And then when, um, when Jane, Maggie's mom, comes to the door and gets Maggie, they have that, that Sorkin shot of them <laughs> doing the walk and talk <laughs> down the stairs into the kitchen. That, that, yeah,
2: there's that, that a that lot of uh,
1: uh, gauntlet. Too.
2: Yeah, there's another cool transition like that goes from Joel and Jed playing basketball and the camera moves past them towards Jane, who's like walking out of the house, who is now having a dialogue with Jeff, who's like sitting on the, uh, I guess sitting on the ledge and like cleaning off some rusty ice skates. Nothing too important there though. I do like how Jed says, uh, well, there go the Olympics. Like, <laughs> like as if he like had dreams as a kid with these ice skates, like he was going to be an Olympic ice skater.
1: Well, there is like one little neat thing that Jeffy says in this scene is that he tells Jane that Steffi needs to be removed from any flame solvent materials, indicating that she would want to burn down the house. <laughs> yeah, burning. Oh, that's a good. That's a good catch. Yeah. yeah, and
2: burning down the house could mean like I guess it's always meant, you know, in this series, like. Uh, separation you know marriage separation i guess right Um, i guess except for maggie it's just been well no no no. the reason maggie's house burned down was because maggie's mom divorced her dad right and then maggie's (laughs) mom burned her like literally burned her house down
1: right um, uh yeah, yeah great catch i do like what jay had said about the shots being great in transition it's a great way to remind us that we're in a house and not in sicily so the camera there's lots of like Walk and talks, and the camera follows along with us right there. Uh, that happens throughout the entire episode where the the characters will just be walking and talking right there. And I like that. That's really rare in northern exposure because very rarely are we ever in a um, upper middle class house.
2: Yeah, props to Michael Cattleman. yeah, Michael Cattleman for uh, really establishing this space of this house. And like you said, Jay, like theres now an audience that is gathered, and for a moment, like everyone. They're in the same scene, but they're all in different places. You know, Joel and Jed are on the court. Mm -hmm. The partygoers attendees are like all setting up chairs on the lawn. Jane and Jeff are like on the steps outside the house. And Maggie and Grammy are up in the bathroom. So we're really all in the same scene together, even though we're in different locations.
0: But Steffi's not there.
2: Oh yeah, Steffi's not there. That's true. I guess Reverend may be there, but he may not know because she's talking to Reverend, right? Right. Or did we uh, they that?
0: were having a conversation in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably when uh, when Jane stepped out it, or something yeah. like that.
2: Well, cool. Uh, we're about to jump back into the uh, conclusion, the heated conclusion of this basketball game. Let's check it out.
0: Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear mother. You think? You think they had to pay for the rights? Well, oh, so absolutely. <laughs> They 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 sang Happy Birthday on the air. You oh, yeah. Have to pay for Absolutely.
1: The it's owned by, uh, God, what is that company called again? Let me see.
2: I don't know. Didn't like McDonald's own it or something? Or No, it's, no.
1: it's like a big corporate. It's like a Johnson or Johnson type of corporation. Let me see.
2: There's another episode that ends with um, Stevie Wonder's Happy Birthday. It's uh, Maggie's. It's like the um, first episode of this season, I want to say. Maggie's 30th birthday.
1: Yeah. I remember I was talking about okay. that.
2: God, it feels so long ago. I guess it was like 14, 13 episodes, yeah.
1: It finally went into the public domain, but uh, yeah, it was earned by Warner Chapel Music. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, hey, we so this is the end of the episode now, but uh, mm-hmm. Jay, you had wanted to do a pause kind of like right towards the end. What were you pausing for?
0: Uh, I kind of wanted to do a recap on the, the Joel-Maggie relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We see Maggie finally come down the stairs and she encounters Steffi leaving. Steffi and Jeffy had this big breakup scene, and Jeffy didn't take her seriously, which seems to be a recurring theme. Um, And so she starts, she goes to get her coat, and she walks out the door and encounters Maggie. And Maggie is is caught by surprise because she doesn't know about it, but a lot of the rest of the residents of the house at the time have found out about it. So she encounters Joel immediately and, and talks about Steffi leaving Jeffy and Joel just kind of shrugs <laughs> it off, like, yeah, that's old news. I already knew that. And which which makes him appear insensitive. So you get the the classic Joel Maggie banter again about Maggie being pissed that Joel's not considerate or whatever. And then now Grammy's requesting to see Joel simply because she hasn't seen anybody <laughs> Jewish before, which that's that's a riot right there. And Joel is insisting that to go to this basketball game, but halfway through the conversation with Grammy, he's now intrigued by the things that she has to say and and when Maggie comes in to get him when it's time to leave to go to the game, um, he
1: he doesn't he had yeah. forgotten about he like the takes game, a, seemingly takes a
2: pause. He takes a moment with her. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of neat parallels between those two scenes with Jeffy and Steffi and Joel going up to meet the grandmother. So with Jeffy and Steffi, you can see that Jeff is more controlling over Steffi's behavior. He doesn't want her to have a child, even though it's obvious that she wants one. He knows that she can't even go into the basement because the the golf clubs are located there. She doesn't know how to open the garage. It almost seems like it's all controlling behavior done by Jeff. He is the one that is in charge of the relationship. And then you can see a parallel with Grammy and Bill, her late husband, She had remarked that when they were younger, she thought she had everything that she wanted, but then she wanted to see what else there was out there. So she decided to leave on her own accord, and Bill allowed her to. It was like one of that classic saying of, if you love something, you let it go. And eventually, they came back together. But it's not the same with Jeff and Steph they have an asymmetrical power dynamic right there where one doesn't want the other one to go. And in fact, even mocks her and says, like, you'll be back. Like, it doesn't, you know, you're you're not going to go anywhere without me. I'm the one that knows everything about you. And it's a much more healthy and positive relationship with Grammy and Bill right there.
2: Yeah. I also like how Steffi, at the end of that scene, you know, Jeffy is saying, like, you can't even go down to the basement, like you were saying, Charles. And, uh, Steffi says, you know, well, she's got an apartment now that she's going out. Like, she's leaving him. She's going to live in this apartment. She says, apartments don't have basements. So (laughs) I like that as well.
1: A great empowering (laughs) scene for her. Yeah.
0: I think, and I don't know how clear it is, but I think that Grammy was trying to draw a parallel between Bill, her late husband, and Joel. Yeah. With respect to Maggie. You know, how she leaves Bill and and dates another guy. I forget his name. Ralph something. (laughs) Uh, for a little while, and then realizes that now she loves Bill and she goes back to Bill. And I think that Grammy might have been trying to draw a parallel between Maggie and Mike and Maggie and Joel. Mm, Definitely,
2: yeah. Yeah, I definitely saw that. It's like a way for Joel to reevaluate his relationship with Maggie, and, you know, Grammy is suggesting that, oh, you know, Maggie really does love you even though she's seeing another man. It also gave me vibes of like the Soapy Sanderson uh, episode from the first season where it's like this older character sort of plays like a matchmaker for Joel and uh, Maggie from Beyond Mm -hmm. the Grave, actually. But uh, yeah, it's like these older people who are evaluating. They have like this uh, experience, this wisdom because they're just super old and uh, they can see that what Maggie and Joel have while... You know, in the present seems pretty tumultuous. Like they're for some reason they can tell this is a, this is a relationship that's going to work.
1: Oh, before we uh, forget about him, the Reverend had a neat little ending with him. So he goes along with a different theme of tradition. They had remarked earlier in the episode that he kind of inherited the family business of being a minister. But in this last scene with him, it's revealed that he's not comfortable at all with interpersonal conflicts. He doesn't want to hear about people's problems. He's terrible at it. He just wants to run away. And Joel remarks that he knew somebody that just couldn't even handle the sight of a corpse and that eventually he just gave up on it. He went to pharmacology. So it's (laughs) going along with the theme of like, you don't necessarily have to follow your expectations or like the path that's set up for you. You know, if you don't want to be this reverend, you don't have to be. And I don't know if it actually does end with that, but it kind of gives the feeling that it does.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely got, I loved that scene. Uh, it's kind of dark. They're in this like sitting room together. And uh, I think I always love it when a movie or a TV series does it right. It can be very captivating when one of the characters is just telling a story to another character you don't like necessarily like see the story. Joel's just there saying like, you know, I remember this guy when I was a uh, first year medical school and it's just a very captivating story. And uh, as you said, Charles, the result is, you know, the guy, he never got used to it. He never got used to seeing cadavers. Uh, he just eventually went into pharmacology, pharmaceuticals, end of the scene. So like, you know, it's not really a uh, impactful ending, but I think you can glean from that exactly what you said, Charles, the idea that you know, like maybe we're not all suited for this path in life, uh, this tradition, you know, like in, in, Reverend's case, he is, uh, he's only involved in, with this family, with the O'Connell family, because his father was their reverend before him. But, you know, maybe giving that up, breaking from tradition, it's not as scary as we make it out to be. And the episode ends, um, oh, with Maggie and Joel, like you were, you were saying, Jay, uh, after Joel goes up to see Grammy, he's uh, he's no longer the same Joel that is uh, telling Maggie, "Look, we got to go now. Like w- whether you're with me or not, I'm going." He he takes a moment to to sit with Maggie and reflect on her family. Um, though I actually I should point out, I do think it's interesting that Joel is so adamant about like he needs to leave now, but whenever Maggie says Grammy needs to see you, uh, he does abdicate. I'm not sure what it is in him that he's he's going to abdicate but uh maybe it has something to do with what we were talking about what you were talking about jay at the very beginning of the episode the same reasons why joel accepts you know to go is uh something to do with maggie maybe to be closer to maggie
0: well once he comes back down you hear the uh he gives maggie the indirect compliment about how she could possibly survive in in <laughs> this loony bin of uh an extended yeah. family um, I want to draw attention to the upstairs-downstairs dynamic, or really it's just the bathroom versus everybody else dynamic. Our two main characters, Maggie and Joel, end up going into the bathroom separately to talk to Grammy, and they are changed because of it. Grammy is like the the person who does the changing, uh, if there's a word for that, in this episode. <laughs> the catalyst oh, yeah, uh, in yeah. this episode for their emotional or, or psychological or something type of change. Yeah. And they get that by, by going into... The bathroom to talk with her, which is just kind of an odd <laughs> place. But it, it the whole time, Grammy is treating it like it's her office. She ends up with uh, uh, alcohol and cigarettes in there, and she's just sitting there smoking, reading magazines. And, and it's the bathroom, but it kind of has this vibe like it's her office, yeah. And uh, like her, like she finally comes office. down and yeah, yeah, she finally comes down to meet everybody. And it's, it's amazing how little she cares about everybody else's opinions, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Steffi left Jeffy. Oh, well. Remind
1: <laughs> me to send her a thank you card. <laughs> that was that was great. That line was good. Yeah, that's a really good observation. I love that. Like, ye, like once she's settled business with who she wants to settle business with, she then concedes that she has to leave the bathroom. Then she'll get out of there right there. But otherwise, she doesn't care about the tradition of going to greet her guest or having to go eat the cake. Uh, she doesn't even know what flavor it is until she comes downstairs. She remarks that it's chocolate. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Uh,
2: talking about that, you know, that bathroom being like a important location, um, a setting, uh, it gave me like sort of Apocalypse Now vibes in that, well, not for Maggie because she's there throughout the whole episode, but in Apocalypse Now, it's about like you go downriver and like at the very end, you meet with this crazed uh, double agent type, like someone who has gone AWOL. I just I thought it was funny that Joel at the very end like has to go quote-unquote upriver to the bathroom (laughs) to uh see what loony been like what loony qualities are happening up there uh but you're totally right it's like that catalyst for you know offering a little bit of change like room for the characters to grow or move um that conversation that joel has with maggie right before they leave to go to the game we don't see the game unfortunately maybe uh (laughs) maybe it's a deleted scene no i doubt it uh I feel like this wasn't, obviously wasn't shot in Michigan, but uh, just like at some fancy house somewhere. Okay, sorry. I wanted to talk about the last little dialogue where Joel is complimenting Maggie. It's interesting because in the very beginning of the episode, Joel is talking about how separation is healthy and that idea is challenged like in the beginning, but we know Joel is right and Jeffy is wrong, you know? Uh, whenever Jeffy's like, you know, that's the loose screws, the malcontents, the misfires. And Joel wants to argue back his position, but the doorbell rings. Well, at the end of the episode, um, Joel has been able to flip. It's not to say that one way is uh, the only correct way, but it's interesting that Joel is like sort of this uh, theme. He has like a theme in the beginning and it's presented, he embodies the anti theme by the end of the episode. So that's like a great sort of arc character change growth for that's contained all in this uh, from the beginning to the end of the episode. You can draw that
1: right, way. right. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever been in that type of situation where you had to go to like a friend or an acquaintance's place? but like you're just thrust into like the middle of like a family matter or, like you just see like an eclectic, colorful cast of people of like someone's family? and then, but like you're totally an outsider. And then, like, eventually, as the day ends, you just come out of it. Like, uh, it feels like this situation has happened to everybody at least once in their life. I think so.
2: Like, yeah, if you go over to a friend's house, there you see their extended family or something like that. But I mean, obviously, not in this uh, sort of heightened scenario where. Uh, there's a divorce that happens like in the middle of the of this scene. Someone has like a minor heart attack. Like this is pretty <laughs> – that's never happened to me. I've never been – Oh, we uh, didn't
0: even touch on that.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Jed has a – we forgot to touch on the uh, dramatic conclusion to that basketball game. Uh, Jed grabs his heart. He's fine. He's like on a stretcher. He's got some oxygen. Uh, it was like – I think Joel says angina, maybe like a little heart attack. But, but yeah, no, no, no. So I, I think we've all been in a situation where we get to see – unfamiliar sort of like how another family works but um I've certainly never been in that situation and someone is like I'm going to divorce him (laughs) someone runs up to me and tells me their innermost secrets
1: I got strong uh what is that movie called with uh Owen Wilson and uh Robert De Niro Is, is it Meet the Fockers oh yeah wait
2: it's like Ben Ben Stiller
1: is it Ben Stiller
2: Maybe Owen Wilson is in it as well, but it's, it's been Ben Stiller. Stiller. Oh, like yeah, you're
1: right. It's Ben Stiller, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, When he goes and meets, like, a weird, strange yeah. family and all the uh, relationship between them. For sure.
2: So the episode ends, as we were saying, like, Grammy comes downstairs, briefly, like, says hello to people. Maggie and Joel leave, you know, or as they leave, Maggie and Joel have a quick little moment together. And uh, we're left with um, just, like, a shot on the empty, like, sitting room where everyone had been. You know, they just left that room and you can hear people off screen singing happy birthday. We were talking about the copyright. Um, Yeah, it's just sort of like this empty house. Interesting way to end it. I I don't know exactly if that signifies anything, if that was uh, purposefully done or if that's just kind of like one of the shots they had to end with.
1: Yeah, I think it's like a stylistic choice right there. If you wanted to demonstrate Maggie and Joel leaving, you can hear the door of them closing and you can also hear... Inside the house, the people that are still there, they're singing happy birthday. So if you wanted to demonstrate both actions right there, I guess if you go to a neutral shot of just showing the broom, you can get quote unquote best of both worlds.
2: Yeah, you get a little bit of um, you know, this the scene is, remains together even though everyone's like left this area. Le- things we leave behind maybe is also tying into that theme of like a shoeing tradition. But um, yeah. Well, Jay, we want to say thanks for joining us. I really like this kind of format. I guess it's just because we get to watch the episode together.
0: It's fun to watch together, I think. Thanks for having me. I-, I had a good time.
2: Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Did you remember any of this episode? Like, Did things come back to mind? Were things like surprising?
0: Uh, Well, it was almost like watching the episode for the first time again because it's been so long since I've seen it. But I did have vague memories of it, I think.
2: Yeah, I would say I, I remembered like... Definitely remembered, like, the idea that this episode was, of course, Maggie and Joel go to, like, a family reunion type thing. Uh, So it all takes place in, like, a house. Apart from that, I don't even think I remember, like, the basketball game, really. That's kind of pretty pretty, um, vague in my mind. Yeah, again, not really a, not a lot of Joel and Maggie together, but definitely a keystone, like, a mark in their um, relationship trajectory, I guess. Well, Charles, we're going to be back. For next week, for our episode Learning Curve, it's the 15th episode in season four. Learning Curve. Any uh predictions? Oh there?
1: gosh, uh, I'm gonna guess it's about one of the characters revisiting something that they used to know, but then they're so out of the game that they have to catch up to where the newcomers are. So, for example, uh, just off if I made something up, let's say like Joel was really, really good at, uh, let's say, programming, but then like a new programming language came out. So he has to go relearn all the new stuff.
2: Yeah. So like that, but the 90s version. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess there's programming in the 90s, but, <laughs> but still not, not as popular. Uh, no, I think you're very close. I think it has, uh, obviously, a lot to do with learning, be that education or life lessons, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah, great guess. Okay, Charles, I'll talk to you
1: next week. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by Lee. Our theme music was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork, and thanks to Jay for being our guest analyst. If you like the write in, you can reach us at Northern Overexposure Podcast at gmail.com, at Northern Overpod on Twitter, and if you like the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com northern overexposure podcast. And of course,